Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives Podcast. And this is Pat. <laughs> <laughs> you said the whole thing. <laughs> All right, let's try that again. Take two. Hey, this is Charles. And this is Pat. From Conversations Podcast, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives. And this is Pat. (laughs) 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 Why aren't you at your post? (laughs) Cut, print, check the gate, moving on. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Friday, June 5th, 2020, although we are actually going to be uh, releasing this episode next Monday, which will be June 8th. So hopefully you guys all had a safe and uh, happy weekend and that uh, things are going well wherever you're at. So we're going to get to our main topic and introduction of this week's guests in just a moment. But first, I want to play a brief message from our sponsor. Oh, I could use a Belusian manganese liquor. Yeah, I'm thinking of whiskey. Oh, good call. Hmm, lots to choose from. Do you want a selection from the top shelf? Definitely. The Chosen One Whiskey, please. Why that one? Well, there was this battle. It's over, Anakin. I have the higher ambient temperature. You underestimate my proofing. You were the chosen one. It was said you'd destroy bad whiskeys, not join them. I'll barrel you. You were my distillery, Anakin. Wow. Okay. I guess instead of top shelf, it should be called the high ground. Yeah. No. Like any good scotch, it gets darker as it ages. Chosen one whiskey. All the body, none of the legs. 
So thank you again to Chosen One Whiskey for helping sponsor the podcast. Uh, I put that together with Pat and Charles from Conversations, who are coming on for this week's show. So uh, certainly thanks to both of those guys for helping uh, make this crazy idea we had a reality but uh if you want to check out our youtube video we've got it up on uh, the jta podcast youtube as well as the red five network youtube so you can check that out there all right for this week's episode i have got a few guests on the line as has been the case lately first and foremost i've got tom from hyperion adventures podcast also my co-host here at the jedi temple archives podcast the guy who is always happy to be here tom how are you doing you know what? I, I think I am happy to be here on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast today. How did you know? Uh, you were uh, the Rob, first one on the stream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> always great to be with you. You're the Cam Ray of the Jedi Temple Archives. So <laughs> nine hours early to any live stream. Perfect. <laughs> yes, it's high praise actually, and I've also been, yeah. praise. <laughs> and I've also got with us Charles and Pat from the Conversations podcast, uh, two guys who are always a ton of fun to hang out and chat with. Uh, looking forward to doing that in person uh, this coming weekend, so that's going to be good times. I'm sure that if you uh, if you check on the Orlando Sentinel website, you may see something about that get that get together <laughs> on the 13th. So uh, definitely right. check the local paper; we're almost sure to show up. You may want to scroll down to the cop section, but uh, that'll be uh, prominently featured on the homepage of uh, Orlando Sentinel, I'm sure. Exactly. Great to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it'll be the first and uh, first annual Jedi Temple Archives perp walk. <laughs> Three idiots kicked out of Disney Springs for being idiots. Uh, <laughs> perp walk? <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, yeah, so uh, thanks for having us again. Uh, looking forward to another fun time. And it should be because this particular topic that we have chosen to uh, to take on this week was inspired by uh, Charles and his wife, uh, Bernadette, and her infatuation with uh, Grandmaster Yoda. <laughs> I say completely tongue-in-cheek. Um, <laughs> Charles, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, about your wife, Bernie, and uh, and her feelings about Yoda? I, uh, I can't say that word here. So, no. uh, yeah. <laughs> She's got some uh, some. It is a four-letter word. It is a four-letter four word. Well, yeah. if, if Baby Yoda is the child, then you can just refer to him as the adult. The adult, yes. The adult <laughs> in this family is, uh, is, uh, is almost a bad word. And, uh, you know, it was an interesting turn. She, um, upon reviewing, uh, re-watching the movies at least before The Rise of Skywalker, uh, it suddenly dawned on her that uh, the the adult became quite the uh, biggest failure uh, in the Jedi Order for not seeing the Palpatine, the Palpatine, the Palpatine, um, literally uh, right in front of him. And she, yeah, she's got a few quite strong uh, emotions about him and um, <laughs> is quite convinced that uh, he is a failure. <laughs> Well, I would I would almost argue that Yoda would probably agree with her uh, on that point. But uh, really, that's going to be kind of the, the gist of our conversation here today is to talk about uh, to what degree was Yoda responsible for the fall of the Jedi Order and the Jedi Purge coming to pass? And then uh, what did he take away from that? And how did it impact his training of Luke Skywalker when we get to Empire Strikes Back? Since it's still kind of uh, we're in the the fading aura of the Empire Strikes Back's 40th anniversary and it's always a fun topic 
topic anyway, but this is uh, this is definitely an interesting one because I think a lot of people, um, you know, have a lot of love for the character of Yoda. But I would also say that your wife may not be far off in the sense that uh, he certainly had an enormous blind spot where the Palpatine was concerned. Um, and, uh, you know, th there were a lot of things that both Yoda and the Jedi Order uh, partook in really leading up to the, the Jedi Purge that, you know, they were complicit in, in part of that fault. So, uh, you know, Tom, you and I haven't really talked about this in any great detail on the podcast before. And, um, you know, what, what's your takeaway from Yoda and his actions during the prequel trilogy? Well, I think it was indicative of the entire Jedi Order at that time. I just think that uh, Palpatine, uh, Darth Sidious, was putting up such a, a powerful smokescreen and, and, you know, diverting their attention everywhere, spreading them across the galaxy that they really couldn't sit down for a time and really meditate and think about it and decide, you know, figure out this whole plot, who it was, who was running the whole thing. I think they had some concept that there was, it wasn't just Count Dooku, there was another a dark Lord out there, another Sith Master out there uh, leading it. I, I just didn't think they put together, like Palpatine played the role so well as uh, Chancellor Palpatine uh, that they just didn't see him as it. They thought that, um, to me, they, they thought that he was maybe a puppet. Uh, maybe he, you know, they, they, they kind of start to uh, see some attachment there. You see them doing some more things to kind of explore why he's still in office, why he's doing some of the things he'd do. But they just they just seemed surprised by the whole thing that he was actually the Sith Lord when it was all said and done. Yeah, Charles or Pat, um, you know, obviously when we look at things like Attack of the Clones, uh, we have Dooku sitting there basically admitting to Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, that uh, Sith Lord is in charge of, of the Republic and uh, running the Senate and basically spilled in broad strokes what was going on there. And Obi-Wan obviously just kind of diss that as the uh, the lies of a Sith Lord. But I would say that one thing that we've seen kind of throughout all of Star Wars is that the Sith, when they deceive, they tend to wrap that deception in, in a certain amount of truth. And uh, it was probably a huge mistake for him to just dismiss that out of hand. Uh, yeah, well, I think that any good lie has um, at least a foundation of truth to it, which makes it believable. Uh, the same thing took place in the Clone Wars television show when Maul tried to tell Ahsoka that that's essentially what was going on. Yeah. And she having, I think having known the Palpatine and having seen and um, kind of been a part of his relationship to the Jedi and especially Anakin, uh, it, as Tom was saying, that's exactly right. He had them all fooled because of I'm sure there's some dark side influence but he just played the part so well mm -hmm. and even in you know Revenge of the Sith when they go to save him he's you know it's just, obviously it's a complete setup but when they when they find him he looks like a helpless little puppy mm -hmm. and and you know, as as a as a observer, when you're watching it, you're like, I know this guy's bad, especially if you watch the machete order. You already know that he's <laughs> – you already know he's the Palpatine. He's the emperor. But um, seeing it, you're like, oh, this guy's really – he sold this to them. And 
I think that with any sort of deep connection to the force through meditation and all that, they might have seen it, but he intentionally started the war to distract them all. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a brilliant power play. Right. Yeah. And I mean, to that end, Charles, you know, what, what do you think about the use of the Jedi as essentially generals and battle commanders in the Clone Wars, which was clearly part of Palpatine's strategy to, you know, to diffuse or uh, dilute their ability to tap into the light side of the force by, you know, wrapping them up in all these concerns uh, that they otherwise wouldn't have had. Well, I mean, like Pat and Tom were both saying that it was a master play from the start, even, you know, as you saw, uh, Senator Palpatine rise to the chancellor level in The Phantom Menace, where the sort of, you know, uh, obscure uh, senator coming in and power playing the uh, the power grab per perfectly, sort of like unassumingly, you know, that sort of all these made these steps uh, sort of, you know, logical, and then um, purely taking all these pieces on the chessboard and moving them into position where everything seemed logical, and unless they were having this secondary sense that he was literally Darth Sidious and the most powerful Sith ever, it was, it all seemed logical. So you can sort of see where that uh, failure to see him as a master player could come into it. But the, just with the depth of how he masterfully played all the different sides against each other and, you know, getting Dooku to, for the separatists and having each side believe that they were on the righteous side and the side that was going to win. And he was playing them all in the sense that, Hey, when this, when we get out of this, you're going to have everything you need and including the Jedi order and restoring the, the galaxy to the proper, uh, the proper way it was meant to be beforehand. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think the other thing that gets lost in looking at it just from the standpoint of the prequels is the fact that, you know, it's been a thousand years since the Jedi have dealt with the Sith in any way, shape or form. And and even if you're looking at the fact that Yoda is around eight hundred plus years old at the time uh, of the, the Jedi purge. Uh, you know, it was clearly before he was even born, much less had come to the Jedi temple. Um, and we now know he could have been plus, you know, 50, 50 year older before he came to the Jedi temple and still been considered a child. Uh, but when you look at the fact that, you know, the Jedi had nothing but writings or teachings about the Sith to go off of the Sith that had preceded, uh, Darth Bane and the rule of two were very much, uh, Sith that were out in the in the galaxy, they were actively participating in plots. Uh, they were very visible. They were typically probably pretty easy to track down because they left a huge wake of destruction behind them. And instead, what these Jedi are, are experiencing are these Sith that hide in the shadows. They're more manipulative. They are less overtly acting uh, where people can see them. Uh, and so the Jedi really had no no framework to understand what they were up against because any of the teachings they would have had to go off of would have been useless really for this new uh, flavor of Sith that had risen in the galaxy. Um, not to mention the fact that the Jedi had grown very complacent. I mean, they were having an easy time of it. Uh, they really didn't have any, other than the Mandalorians, any real natural predators uh, out there in the galaxy 
confronting them. And uh, the Sith, meanwhile, are engaged in this rule of two where the apprentice has to get powerful enough to kill the master. So it's the survival of the fennest, and they're getting more and more powerful each generation. So um, I think those are all huge factors and, and interesting things to consider that, you know, someone sitting in the movie theater without that knowledge of some of the other history that goes around this uh, would really have at the front of their mind. And, and it definitely plays into the Jedi looking incompetent, but the reality is, is, you know, they, they just were not prepared for this. And it's as a viewer of the films, uh, it's easy for us to, to pick it out. You know, we've seen Palpatine as the emperor. We were first introduced him. Well, it was to somebody else, but <laughs> right. eventually to him in return to the Jedi as the emperor. So you knew when you got back to the prequels, okay, this is the guy. So you could watch it all play out before you and you, you could pick and oh, why, why can't they see it? Why you can see it? You know, why can't you see it? <laughs> it's really easy for us, but obviously it, much more difficult. But like you said, Rob, I mean, there was a complacency. Uh, if you want to say it's a touch of arrogancy, whatever it is with the Jedi order at that point, they've been, for, you know, a thousand years, just kind of just running roughshod, you know, as much as Jedi run roughshod <laughs> over the galaxy, <laughs> right. they really didn't have anybody to compete with them. So they just couldn't see it happening to them. They just couldn't imagine it. And and so when it all did come to fruition, uh, they just had trouble dealing with it for sure. Well, and we certainly saw some of that, you know, you and I had talked about it, Tom, when we did the Jocasta new episode and talking about her, you know, semi-arrogance about the the Jedi Temple archives and the fact that Kamino couldn't have been erased. You know, if it's not in our system, it must not exist. And, uh, you know, the Jedi definitely had that kind of mindset, like they knew they were at the top of the food chain. And to kind of go hand in hand with that, when I was on conversations the first time with Pat and Charles and we were kind of talking about the history of the Jedi Temple, uh, we talked a little bit about that dark side shrine, the dark side nexus that was essentially, you know, had the Jedi Temple built on top of it. Um, you know, to what degree do you guys think that would have played a factor in, you know, the Jedi basically having their connection to the light side of the force weakened over over the decades and, and centuries that passed? Well, I mean, I think that if you have that going on, and it's not, you know, implicitly mentioned in the movies, um, or explicitly, for sure, that, you know, that's sort of a, a outside of the movies uh, st part of the story, you do have the power of, you know, uh, of uh, Sidious, who has come in here as an unassuming uh, political player, and you can't underestimate, you can't underestimate too the political side of it, where he needed that political power to move the rest of the uh, of the galaxy to be able to manipulate them all to have them fighting against each other. So if he was being able to use that sort of dark nexus below him to cloud him, and you know, Yoda said it many times within uh, the three movies. You know, the 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 dark side is hard to see or it's clouded. Um, he even mentioned himself the, the the arrogance of some of the older Jedi of being you know uh, uh, being victims of their uh, arrogance and that, you know, keeping their, not necessarily keeping their eye on the ball. Sure, they have their skirmishes that they're sort of taken care of, but you've got the darkest part of the entire history of the galaxy sitting five feet across from you. You know, you can cross-examine a young Anakin and, and undress him in, uh, in 30 seconds with his fear and his, and his hate and his attachment to his parents, yet you have the most powerful one sitting across from you, and especially, you know, in Attack of the Clones, where... Uh, Palpatine is Chancellor, and he's playing them all like a fiddle. 
to what degree, Pat, do you think that, you know, there was some ability on Palpatine's part to to uh, obfuscate or, or hide his force ability from the Jedi? I mean, he had to have some ability to, to mute that or shield it in some way. Uh, there was a theory, I guess. Uh, there's a certain line of thinking that the wrinkled up, messed up looking face that he has after the attack with Mace Windu is his true self that's what he actually looks like and the you know much better looking in McDermott sort of normal face um was something that he had manipulated I guess through the force um to project as his outward appearance uh if that is the case and you know it's again it's a theory but with his abilities that that may seem unnatural uh that's not outside the realm of possibilities and if that's the case then you know that's that's visual that's something you can see something as far as the force and um and being force sensitive or or a sith the jedi what have you i think that would be much easier to hide than even his physical appearance Mm -hmm. so i think he he absolutely would have been able to to do that and he was never really put to the test because he's very patient and he was smart about it you know if he pulled uh like the the guys reading the um uh about uh kanan and hera uh back before they you know were in rebels and you know kanan's trying to like hide that he's a jedi and all this and stuff slips out where he uses the force or whatever i think that um he was very calculated and making sure that he didn't slip up. I mean, it was it was key to his plan. So as long as he didn't slip up, who would who would even expect him? Who would even test him? You know, like throw something at him, see if he stops it. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's no reason to suspect him some unassuming, you know, uh, senator from from Naboo right. or, yeah. I, I really wish they would come out with, I mean, for the longest time, Darth Plagueis, the the novel that they had out, um, and I think that was James Lucerno that, that was the author of that. But, um, you know, that gave the backstory to Palpatine and kind of laid out everything about him. And, and now that is Legends. Um, but I would love for them to come back out with, with something that would kind of uh, fill in some of these gaps. Because if you know, I know that the thought right now is that people kind of want the the novels and the comics to move away from what we have known and, and go into another era where they have a little bit more open ground to play with. Uh, but I think there's still some really interesting stories that could be told uh, within canon about some of these characters that would would be really fascinating. Um, going back to the Dark Side Temple, I, I you know. I had seen out on, I think it was Reddit, someone was talking about the fact that, you know, Jedi, uh, especially Yoda, were so powerful. How could they build their temple on this dark side nexus and not sense the dark side? But by the same token, I mean, that had been built over that dark side ne- nexus almost a millennia ago. And Yoda would have grown up in that temple as would have so many of those Jedi with that underneath them. And, and as is so many times the case, uh, if something is just kind of part of your normal environment, you don't even notice it. And I wonder to what degree, you know, that could have played into his blindness toward the dark side and Palpatine as well. Yeah, I mean, I, we personally here in San Diego, we live not that far from one of the major highways in town. 
And people come there and they're like, oh, you can really hear it. And I'm like, you can, <laughs> you know, because it's always here for us. We, it's just kind of in the background now. And I would imagine it's a good point, Rob, that it could be very similar in many regards that you're, uh, that is always kind of around. You kind of feel that that's just part of being a Jedi. Maybe there's always this buzz of the dark side kind of around that you just kind of push back and just don't pay any attention to that. That's just background noise, whatever the case may be. So it's a really good point. We had a question from, uh, from a coworker actually that we had, featured as a uh, what the force question and he was asking he had just recently watched attack of the clones and um he was talking about when um uh yoda confronted uh dooku and how they were uh fighting and you've got you know dooku they're you know the lightsaber battle but they also have you know chunks of machinery and i said you know and he said you know how how can yoda most powerful jedi ever be struggling to hold this chunk of metal while you know, you got Dooku who's just flinging them around like chips. And Pat made the great point. Is that like, well, think about the way the Force works. Is that if you're spreading yourself thinly through the Force, in this case, he's got Dooku, uh, uh, you know, a former Padawan, but also now like sort of dark side. And you got this chunk of metal about to crush you to death. All these different things play into the the, the, the way the Force is flowing through you. You got you got you're being tapped. And if you Think about the, the the dark force nexus that's sitting below them, whether they're conscious of it or not. If they're keeping that at bay, they could be diminishing their ability to uh, use the force to see more clearly. Or, but that's also part of that clouding part of it. It's like maybe that line that he said, you know, clouded is the dark side of the force. Maybe it's because of where they are versus the power of the dark side of the force externally. You know? Yeah, I think it's dark side kryptonite. That's what it is. I think that's a really good analogy. <laughs> um, you know, and, and to kind of start, are there any other points you guys want to bring up with regards to the prequels about, you know, the the impacts of the environment that they were in? Certainly, I mean, we could we could talk ad nauseum about the Clone Wars themselves. Uh, uh, talk about diverting attention, uh, the Jedi's attention and, and their focus. And now instead of just worrying about those you know, within the order that are around them, now they're worried about their Padawans. They're worried about other Jedi. They're worried about their troops. They're worried about, you know, the greater game plan. You've got a, a Sith Lord manipulating both sides of this so that they can never really make much progress, uh, despite the fact that, you know, they, they wouldn't have recognized it at that point. But um, you know, every time they would seem to get some momentum, there would be setback and things would kind of swing the other way. Uh, they, they certainly had every distraction in the galaxy really on them at that point, uh, which also would have, you know, reduced their ability to sense some of these things going on around them. There was one point yeah. that I want to bring up at the end of, uh, Revenge of the Sith, right before the birth of, uh, uh Luke and Leia and they're on their way to the. Uh, the asteroid, I can't think of the name, or the, the small planetoid there that they were born on. Um, and you see, uh, that's just when uh, Sidious is uh, sort of bending over the sort of fried husk of uh, Anakin there on Mustafar. And you, we cut to a scene of Yoda on the ship. And it's the first time that you saw Yoda alone meditating. Yeah. And you can sort of assume that maybe he was feeling or sensing through the Force that Sidious is now approaching Anakin. And I, when I saw that, I was like, I wonder if that's the point where he, Yoda finally realized, wow, that was it. It was Sidious. It was Palpatine. This is my ultimate failure right there. And 
sort of witnessing it or, or sensing that through the force. Well, and we know from the Clone Wars uh, season six that, you know, he did have visions uh, during the course of season six and certainly a, a direct attempt by uh, Dooku and Sidious to, through some Sith alchemy, try to turn him to the dark side uh, and also facing kind of his own dark side self as he was going through the process of, of having these revelations laid on him by Qui-Gon. So, you know, he did have some visions that were directly related to things that were going to happen with the Jedi purge. Now, certainly uh, I think he could be forgiven for thinking that that was all just his fears uh, and not really him seeing the future at that point. And, and, and I think that then feeds into part of the conversation that we get into next, which is, you know, when you look at Yoda, who I, I would definitely say completely understood that he had failed the Jedi. Um, you even see that as far into uh, Star Wars is The Last Jedi when he's talking to Luke Skywalker and, you know, telling him that, you know, the greatest teacher failure is. And he has clearly, you know, over a long period of time come to that understanding. But I didn't get the impression at the end of Revenge of the Sith that, that he didn't realize that he had failed, not just himself, but all of his students. And, and that then plays into what we see of Yoda in Empire Strikes Back, which, you know, it's not that far down the road, but he has had the time to kind of go through whatever teachings Qui-Gon had been able to to give from, uh, you know, the, the netherworld of the Force. Um, and time to kind of come to grips with the things that had happened in the prequels that led to the fall of the Jedi Order. And, uh, you know, what what are your thoughts? Um, I guess we'll start with Pat this time uh, on on the Yoda we see in Empire Strikes Back and, and some of the things that really changed with him. Uh, mainly the introspection that he had to go through. Uh, you're looking at almost 20 years of solitude. Uh, you know, Ben Kenobi had his time on Tatooine to, to reflect and, and learn from his mistakes and all. Uh, but he was also had a mission, you know, he had to look over Luke and protect him and all Yoda was there with his thoughts and that, that can do a lot to either make or break someone. And I think the first time we see Yoda, his kind of silliness, kind of bizarre nature, I'm not sure it's entirely an act. I think he's, I think he's, he's a little, uh, little inside himself for a little too long, if you know what I mean. Uh, but, but he definitely had time to think about all the things that he missed, all those little seeds that were planted that he, you know, would have overlooked initially and then gone back and said, oh man, you know, that, that was probably, you know, a a hint that we were headed this direction and all, um, you know, much after the fact. And, you know, when you're when you're alone with your thoughts like that, you can really come up with, you know, your Monday morning quarterbacking of oh, I should have done this or I could have done that. And I think that kind of helps to influence him when it comes to Luke. <laughs> And how he's going to train Luke versus how he would have trained Jedi in the temple with, you know, before all of this went down. I, I do have to argue, though, that I don't think he was alone on Dagobah. I have to believe that Oogie Boogie lived there because he got that recipe for snake and spider stew from somewhere. So but that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do we need to do a little bit with them. Right. With the two of them. <laughs> right. Oh, boy. Every oh, time we boy. talk, there's a new commercial. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the list. 
Well, thanks for having us, Glick. Exactly. <laughs> we got work to do. <laughs> no wonder he wanted that lamp from R2 so bad. <laughs> he could have just gone, he could have gone to Galaxy's Edge and picked one up for cheap, but oh, how to derail a conversation. <laughs> uh, well, invite us. That's all right. <laughs> No, and, and the interesting thing about, uh, you know, Yoda, especially with, with Luke arriving there on Dagobah, is the irony of it is that he trains Luke to be a Jedi, but it's not even really the Jedi part of Luke that ends up turning Vader back to the light, or Anakin back to the light, as the case may be. I mean, it it wasn't just going to be any Jedi that was going to be able to do that. It seemed to be more of a familial connection. I think more to the point, the training that Yoda was giving Luke was about not giving into his dark side to achieve victory, uh, which was probably the more important point. And, and we see that with the, the dark side cave and that whole sequence. What other, what other lessons do you think were taught while, while Luke was on Dagobah that kind of tie back directly to the things that Yoda learned, um, you know, from his failure? Well, I think you go right off to the very beginning when he first meets up with Luke. I mean, what's one of the first things he says to him within the first few lines is wars do not make one great. I think he's been able to look back at the Clone Wars and realize, boy, what a mistake that was. We should not have been so deeply involved in this that helped, you know, shroud our eyes to everything that was going on. So I think that was, a, you know, a, although it was a kind of a, a simple little line when he was still playing kind of this feeble character, maybe another thing he learned from <laughs> seeing what Palpatine was doing, you know? Um, but I, I think it was a key line, you know, right off the bat. Um, but then going back to, yes, his training of Luke, the other things that he went through is, you know, Luke, we kept trying to, you know, he reaching out and, and feeling his friends and this attachment there. And you know that Yoda was like, look, this is what was the problem with, with your father, you know, <laughs> let's kind of keep that in check. Uh, you need to stay here and train with me. Don't worry about them. They're going to be fine. But uh, obviously that it, it went on deaf ears when it's all said and done. As any parent would know, right? Yeah. <laughs> What's no, to me um, in the, uh, on Dagobah when he's training, it was the uh, unlearn what you have learned. And I, you know, obviously Luke was coming in at a much older age. And, uh, you know, I think part of his little kookiness at the start was part of that, um, you know, starting to unmask Luke and whether or not he was going to be serious or not, because, you know, he was playing the little, that was a very interesting point that Tom brought up about, you know, learning a little bit of uh, uh, goofiness or a little bit of uh, not being the strongest character in the way that uh, uh, Palpatine was doing it. But as soon as Luke lost it in his hut with, no, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have time for this. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's when Yoda turned. Right. Forget it. He's too old. I'm not going to train him. Yep. So he was like sort of coaxing him into this sort of, uh, you know, way of, you know, I'm going to flush you out to see that you're actually serious about this. And if his faculties came back to him at that point and he starts training him, that line of the unlearn what you have learned, I think for me, calls back to some of the uh, lessons that Yoda had strictly in his mind back in Attack of the Clones when Mace Windu was, was almost the, the voice of reason where Mace Windu was like, hey, look, we got to tell the, the Senate about this. we got some problems here. And Yoda was like, nah, nah, nah. We, we don't, we don't need more adversaries at this point, you know. We, don't we're, worry we're about that. This. Yeah, don't worry about that. <laughs> don't worry about the Senate. Um, and that was his steadfast. Okay, we could say we could call it um, arrogance or steadfastness to your belief system, but 
he was on that firm path. And he obviously realized at that point that that unbending way of thinking obviously led them further down that path. And unlearning what you have learned will only be able to give you the ability to learn the right way. Oh, Pat was nodding. I didn't know if he was about to launch into an expose and <laughs> I'm learning what we have learned. <laughs> well, oh, here um, we go. yeah, I think, I think the entire encounter on Dagobah was a test from start to finish. And some parts he failed miserably. <laughs> um, you know, uh, he sends him into the cave and he's like, your weapons, you will need them not. And he's like, I'm going to take them anyway. He's like, all right. Told I've you. been there, all right. I know you don't need to bring them, okay? I, I, you, <laughs> foolish he is. So, um, you know, there's that, and then there's the X-wing, and you know, he's complaining about how big it is, and um, you know, so, and then don't leave to go help your friends. They'll be fine. You'll be fine. You know, so all those things. I think he either jumped the gun or thought he knew better or just disregarded what Yoda was telling him. And that's the whole reason he came there is to train from Yoda. Like, listen to the dude that you came to learn from. Um, And I think his second encounter with Yoda uh, when he came back in Jedi and, you know, wanted to complete his training, I think those lessons Yoda tried to teach him in that hiatus had kind of sunk in. Because when you see... um, when you see him go to rescue Han from Jabba and he doesn't go in, you know, with his lightsaber and chop Jabba's head off and say, all right, Han, let's go. You know, he, he initially tries to reason with him and, and he's, he's patient. He's, he's, um, he's learned somewhat from, from his failures and from the failures of others. Mm-hmm. And I think Yoda recognized that when he came back and, and realized that, you know, you you have the tools to be a great Jedi. Now, go do it. Yeah, it's an interesting point because I think that despite everything, I think during the training on Dagobah, Yoda was still trying to train Luke in clearly the, the use of the light side of the Force. You know, he was trying to deter him from using the dark side. But we do see Luke, especially in Return of the Jedi, I mean, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just, given away by the outfit, by the dark outfit that when he turns open the collar of it at the end, you get the white interior. He was really headed down a darker path in Return of the Jedi, and you see him using Force Joke on the Gamorrean guards and, uh, you know, doing some things that Yoda certainly wouldn't have uh, probably counseled him in favor of. Um, But by the same token... uh, he still ended up making the correct decision at the end of that film and and throwing away his lightsaber. And to a certain extent, I mean, I think both interacting with Yoda and, and through his conversations with Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, you know, getting a better understanding of who his father was, was critical by the end of that film. Because really when we see Luke training in Empire Strikes Back, he thinks this is about combat. He thinks this is about, you know, killing Vader uh, is how he wins this fight. And in Return of the Jedi, it's a completely different kind of battle. It's it's the battle for the soul of Anakin Skywalker, really. Um, so that's, that's a pretty interesting thing. And, and you've got Anakin... Uh, you know, was not a person that, that Yoda or Obi-Wan would have really thought that that he could have ever been saved. It was, you have to defeat him. 
uh, in order in order for the Jedi to rise again. So, um, you know, Yoda still during the time on Dagobah wasn't seeing everything as clearly as he might have. Um, you could argue that in some degree, you know, to some degree, that's still because the veil of the dark side is is laying over the universe and uh, he doesn't have his full powers. But, um, you know, the, there are things about Yoda in Empire Strikes Back that are still flawed. I, I think it's hard to overturn 800 plus years of Jedi dogma um, and see things a different way. I mean, certainly you could argue that uh, that emotion isn't something that the Jedi should completely shun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, when Luke leaves to go to Cloud City, uh, to go to Bespin, I mean, what's one of the first things when he's when Yoda's talking with Obi-Wan, um, he says, he's like, now matters are worse. Mm-hmm. You know, he feels like he's leaving too early. He's not ready to face Vader his father, whether he doesn't even know if he's, you know, Vader's going to tell him or if Vader even knows at that point, he has no idea of that. Uh, but he feels like, oh, this is the worst possible scenario. He's going to turn to the dark side now because this training's not complete. And now it's really bad. I mean, yes, there's another, he says, but he feels that this is pretty much done for Luke. Luke comes back. He says, oh, you know, it, it, you know, the interesting thing in the Empire Strikes Back and is that Luke figures out when he after he cuts off his hand after his father after vader tells him he's his father he kind of looks at him and realizes there's something going on with vader there you know and i'll i and you know rob i've <laughs> yes, talked to you many times about this you know what i feel about empire strikes back and how things start to turn mm-hmm. uh near the end of that movie as far as uh of vader and anakin skywalker uh he senses something and that's why he feels free to be willing to just dive off of that uh, platform and possibly fall to his death, but he knows that this is the right recourse, uh, gets back, has time to think things through on the trip to Tatooine, everything else, comes back, sees Yoda. He told you he did, you know, about him being his father. You know, it's unfortunate, you know, but still, Luke, no, this is what the path needs to be. The path needs to be for me to bring him back is to bring back the good in him because it's still there. But Yoda couldn't necessarily see that. He was shrouded. He still wouldn't believe that you could come back from being that far down the dark side. Well, and I think there's a lot to your point uh, that you make about that that confrontation with Luke being the beginning of the rise of Anakin Skywalker and, and the fall of uh, Darth Vader because up until that point, Again, we saw it with with Ben Solo, a la Kylo Ren, that part of that fall is thinking that there's no path back, that you've made a choice that can't be unmade. And you know that's the case with Anakin, uh, but he gets to see through his through his son that he had him in a position where he thought he had no other choice. It was turned to the dark side. And he couldn't he couldn't envision throwing himself down that uh, down that reactor shaft. Uh, and Luke takes that plunge. Uh, and I think that is the moment where he goes, maybe I could have made another choice. And as you point out, I mean, later on in that movie, after he's been killing every fleet officer who fails him in the slightest way, uh, Admiral Piet gets to walk away from, you know, the failure of not having the deactivated uh, hyperdrive on the Millennium Falcon. So I think there's a lot to that to that theory, and I think it's an excellent point. I Thank look you, at I look at the um, the cave on Dagobah. This is a very interesting point because, first of all, like you know, when I first saw it, it was 
traumatic for me uh, as, a, as a child when I first saw it because it was very stark and it's like, oh my gosh, that's Luke and he just cut off his own head. What is going on? Is it a twin? I had all these questions in my head. But as I saw Return of the Jedi, I always envisioned uh, the cave experience on Dagobah as a as a sort of a calling card for what would be coming for Luke and has, as he was going to see it, like, wait a second, am I related to Darth Vader? Am I Vader? Am I going to become Vader? It was like an awakening. And for Yoda to call it, remember your failure in the cave. It's like, why would he call it a failure? Was it a failure because he brought his weapons in? Was it a failure because he, uh, he failed to, uh, maybe confront Vader in a different way. I mean, I never knew that answer. And for me, it was not a failure. It was actually a complete success because it actually allowed him to see a little bit in the future and help him plan or at least uh, subconsciously plan what was actually going to happen. So in that final uh, sequence before Luke leaves for Bespin, he throws out that don't forget your failure in the, in the cavern or in the cave and all these things are going to happen. And then as soon as he sees that resolve in Luke and uh, Yoda visually, you can see his face has the, the bright eyes and he's got that sort of agape mouth. Then he's like backtracking, remember what you have learned. Yeah. Uh, the general, you're, 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 you know, he starts to backtrack. He's like, oh, he is actually leaving. Okay, maybe I should get supportive at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he forgot what he learned from the past three movies. Like, oh, wait a second, I'm going back down the wrong path here. I should uh, probably backtrack and try and give the kids some support. <laughs> well, and and we get we get an audio cue in the film itself that Luke is very much remembering Yoda's words and his training when he gets to Cloud City because it's Yoda's theme that's playing in the background and not Luke's uh, as he is going to confront Vader and and that confrontation is actually taking place. So um, it's another one of those kind of crazy discordant things like using Leia's theme when Obi-Wan dies in the first film, which was really just done, you know, more because it, it fit better with that particular scenario. But I would argue that Yoda's theme in, in Empire Strikes Back at that particular point in time is more indicative of the fact that Luke was carrying Yoda's training into battle. And in a lot of ways, he was Yoda's chance to atone for his failure with Sidious. Mm. You know, another thing, in alluding back to what you were talking about, about maybe Yoda still not you know, being locked into the old ways still somewhat. The fact that, you know, Luke, it does have these friends, that he does have these attachments. That attachment is what drew Anakin back. And, you know, Yoda couldn't see that possibly happening. It's one of those things that was really the biggest problem, in my opinion. And I know, Rob, we've discussed it many times. The biggest problem with the Jedi Order was the fact that they just wanted to completely stay away from attachments when that is just not natural for, for most beings, you know, and, and to go against your, your nature so many times, of course, there's going to be some issues involved with that. Uh, yet that's what ended up saving this, the, the, the universe, at least at that time, uh, uh, during this whole thing was Luke's attachment to his father, Anakin's attachment, or uh, actually newly found attachment to his son that he's just discovered, you know? So um, it, it really, it, you know, again, it's it's the flaws of the old way of the Jedi Order that we always, at least for me personally, feels need to be changed if there's any other growth, if there's a reemergence of the Jedi in the future of Star Wars. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly points that were made about that in sub- season seven of the Clone Wars with regards to the, the Jedi in their in their inability to embrace any kind of emotion, they had no feelings for the very citizens that they were impacting 
um, kind of as they were, you know, going through performing their duties as a Jedi. So, yeah, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of great points there. I feel like this is a conversation that we could talk about all night long, but uh, we'll definitely have other chances to do that. Uh, we could probably get into a whole nother discussion about the attachment to the Republic, specifically uh, versus Luke's you know, attachment to the Rebellion as well and, and how that was what was really pulling both the Jedi in one direction and Luke in, in the direction of going back and quote-unquote saving his friends. Um, so again, plenty of other topics that we could get into, but guys, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I want to make sure that you, uh, get a chance. I know Tom's got, uh, got some family time that he needs to spend as well coming up here. So, uh, hopefully, so Charles and Pat, thank you guys so much for coming on. Why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you guys in the conversations podcast? Well, we uh, are at conversations.com on the web and we are at Swations on Twitter. We're also at uh, facebook.com forward slash conversations, and we're also on Instagram at conversations.com. And we also have a Spreadshirt shop where we uh, bring to uh, physical fulfillment some <laughs> of our idiotic and Luke Foolery and uh, handjinks, and uh, we print them. <laughs> <laughs> we print it <laughs> which is the best way to immortalize it right yeah definitely also check out their website uh if you want to hear more about the proper order to watch star wars films i know you guys have that out there and uh as well as your black series uh dioramas that you guys do which get better every time i see them and looking forward to more of those in the future and we also have our our blogs oh yes now yes on, yes. the, on the website. Yes. Yes. Uh, your recent cosplay build for the Mandalorian uh, Disney run. That, that's our first sort of real blog area that we're, we launched where we just have our some, some of the pictures that we take and projects we go along with. We try and take pictures as we go and write a little story to it. And you can follow along with it. Awesome. Uh, and definitely check the two of them out there. A great time. I'm sure we're going to have no fun at all this coming weekend uh, <laughs> over at Disney Springs and uh, cruising comic book stores in the Orlando area in search of rare and interesting Black Series figures. Who, who's going to post our bail? That's what I want to know. Uh, bail Organa. <laughs> I believe ah! would be the obvious answer. <laughs> you didn't get that name. You didn't get that and name for so no reason. Indeed. And Tom, where can folks find you on the Hyperion Adventures podcast? Well, that's exactly where you find us. We are the Hyperion Adventures podcast. We mostly focus on Disney. It's the podcast I do with my wife, Michelle. But we also talk a lot of Star Wars and Marvel and mostly about the parks and everything. Uh, and we just celebrated our second year anniversary. Uh, while I have you all here, I want to thank the three of you because you all played a part in our second anniversary celebration episode that came out recently. So thank you, Rob LaBerra. You know how we feel about you and your wife, Kim. Uh, Pat and Charles, we met you just recently, but uh, really, I, I love the, the friendship that has grown with you two, and we look forward to increasing that in the future. So thank you again, guys, for, for coming on that episode. If you want to find our episodes, uh, the best place to track us down is on our own website, HyperionAdventuresPodcast.com, but we're also on all the other podcatchers out there. Uh, if you want to follow us socially, we're on Twitter, at Hyperion Podcast. Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest at Hyperion Adventures Podcast. And we do have a YouTube channel that is starting to make a sudden resurgence now. Uh, we just actually videoed that entire episode, that anniversary episode, and dropped that yesterday. So uh, you can find us there. Just do a search for Hyperion Adventures Podcast and then subscribe and see all our videos.
And you can also check out a sweet video of Tom uh, running the bar at the River Roost Lounge at the Yeehaw Bob Show if, you, uh, if you're into that kind of thing, if you're a Disney fan. So you get a first-person uh, first view of my co-host in action. So, Tom, <laughs> always appreciate you coming on. Pat and Charles, thank you so much for making time for us this evening. And uh, hopefully you guys all have a great night. Thank you very much. You bet. Yeah, and so definitely go check out Hyperion Adventures podcast if you're into Disney and Marvel and Star Wars related news and the Conversations podcast if you're a Star Wars fan. I cannot recommend them highly enough. All great people. Uh, definitely quality content that they produce. Uh, certainly Pat and Charles, uh, a couple of chuckleheads just like myself. So we have bonded over that. And Tom uh, loves to fit right in as well. We, uh, If you haven't listened to their 100th episode, definitely go check that out. It, it uh, features all of us. And, and we have a great time talking about kind of the perfect Star Wars day at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and the Disney parks. So uh, in, for, in terms of uh, Star Wars news this week, there are some interesting uh, pieces that have come out. The first of which is that the filming for the Cassian Andor series is expected to start, which is long been forthcoming. Uh, it has kind of been on a phase of kind of starting and stopping and starting and stopping. So very much looking forward to see what happens with that. Uh, certainly the Cassian Andor series is one of those series that I am most looking forward to, uh, given that uh, I definitely formed a connection with Cassian and K2SO, and it looks like they're both going to be featured. And uh, there's also a lot of news coming out regarding uh, possible casting calls for an older Ezra Bridger. So if you're a Star Wars Rebels fan, um, they're looking for a 40-something-year-old man to play the role of Ezra Bridger in a potential live-action uh, series tied to the Rebels timeline. So uh, very much looking forward to that as well. There's been some inklings of Thrawn possibly becoming a live-action show as well, uh, which, again, that may tie very closely into whatever they're doing with Ezra Bridger and that Rebels kind of season not season two, but, um, you know, kind of a, a rebel sequel, uh, since the last we saw of Ezra Bridger was he and Thrawn, uh, being launched into hyperspace by the Purgle. So again, if you have not watched rebels, I would definitely recommend go out and do that. And, uh, you should have plenty of time before they come live with any actual series based on that. Uh, but other than that, that's pretty much all the news we have for this week uh, for our Holonet News. If you want to reach out to us here at the JTA podcast and recommend any possible topics for future episodes, please do so. We can be found typically on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at JTA podcast, uh, most often on Twitter. And you can also reach us at JTA podcast at gmail.com or via our dial-in number to our voicemail at 201-746-5827, which is JTAP. And that should do it for us for this week. Thank you guys for tuning in. I'm going to be off for the next week and a half, roughly, so I won't be out on social media quite so much. Uh, we're going to be down in Orlando on vacation and meeting up with the guys from Conversations next weekend, so we may record something there. But uh, until then, I will be back in a couple weeks dropping another episode that uh, week of the 21st through the 28th of June, so look forward to that. Again, if you have any ideas for shows you might want to hear, drop us a line. Be safe out there, and may the Force be with you. Thank you.